tuned in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. You're listening to The Tidbit, brought to you by Curate. We are live at the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C., and I'm your host and the CEO of Curate, Kim Bryden. Do you run a small business or have dreams to start one? Well, here at The Tidbit, we've got your back. Each week, we talk through tidbits of knowledge around starting or running a small business with a food and beverage lens. On our last episode, we discussed mentorship and empowerment in entrepreneurship through a lens of wealth, class, and globalism. And today, I'm particularly eager to talk about another uh, barrier to entry in entrepreneurship, and that is the access to opportunity and the funding gap that exists between genders. And I'm actually really pleased to say that here in Washington, D.C., we continue to top the list for women-founded and led startups nationwide. In fact, Adweek recently published a piece titled, How D.C. Became One of the Top Cities for Inclusive Female-Driven Entrepreneurship. And the piece goes on to read, according to one analysis, roughly 2% of venture capital funding in 2017 went to all female teams compared to 79% that went to all male teams. A March 2018 report from the National Women's Business Council cited a wide range of issues holding back women in entrepreneurship, from a lack of high-level networking opportunities to a systemic bias through an unconscious association with an unconscious association with less credibility and a lack of legitimacy compared to men. Um, That is infuriating. No? I mean, unfortunately, we're all very tribal beings. We seek out what we know, what is familiar, but this has a really extremely negative effect when it comes to the money held and access to to opportunity held by one dominant race, gender, or class. So how can we have a more diverse, resilient, innovative economy when we're only propping up one point of view? And that's why it's so important that we have in DC programs like the Beacon Initiative, powered by Google in Georgetown and the mayor's office, or the Veneta Project that's been creating community and pitch competitions uh, for funding for women-founded startups. There are so many sectors in which female founders are present, but being that we're here on the tidbit and tidbits of knowledge on starting and running a small business with a food and beverage lens, I really wanted to explore ways in which we're breaking down barriers to entry in the food industry nationwide. How are we creating access to mentorship and empowerment structures, specifically in food? So today we are welcoming Rohini Day, owner and founder of Vermilion Restaurant in Chicago and New York, to specifically address this topic. Rohini is a leading restaurateur, a proponent of Indian cuisine with her unique Latin twist, and an avid supporter of women as a James Beard Foundation trustee. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Rohini. You're listening to The Tidbit. I'm your host, Kim Bryden, and we're live with Rohini Day, entrepreneur, restaurateur, and straddling the worlds of business and philanthropy across the U.S. and India. Welcome, Rohini. 
Very nice to be on, Kim. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And I just want to get right to it. I want to address the gastro ceiling in the food industry. You co-founded the James Beard Foundation Women in Culinary Leadership and Women's Entrepreneurship Owning It programs, backed by restaurants nationwide. So first, can you explain what the gastro ceiling is to our listener? Maybe how it's similar or different from our more traditional jargon of the glass ceiling. And, and I'm wondering if there's a particular moment for you in your life that you can point to that, that sort of sparked this desire to fight for women's rights in the kitchen and across business industries at large. I, I just want to hear more about your journey. Uh, absolutely. You know, I'm going to uh, try and make this as... Uh, succinct. <laughs> succinct, I was going to say, brief as possible. But yeah, a uh, So before, before I plunged into the world of food, restaurants, I, w- I worked at McKinsey for several years, uh, which is business consulting, and I worked at the World Bank, so with governments and uh, at a very different macro level. So I'm no stranger to what we all call the glass ceiling, and that is basically not enough women in senior roles, leadership roles, ownership roles. Mm -hmm. When I entered the restaurant industry, and after a few years of being a restaurateur, not a chef, it just baffled me and appalled me at how fundamentally lower leadership and ownership is in the culinary industry. Mm. One would consider kitchens if you were to use an archaic viewpoint as a natural domain of women, but when it comes to professional ownership and leadership, that is far from the case. Mm-hmm. If you look at some statistics, you know, Bloomberg says leading uh, executive chefs of leading restaurants is at 9%. Wow. Ownership tends to be higher, but again, if you go by statistics, and you would know this, you know, being in the small business space, of women-owned businesses do not cross the $1 million revenue line. So they're confined to being on the fringe. They're not players. And that's true of our industry. I mean, if you think of mega restaurateurs, you can rattle off names of groups owned by men and not so for women. The very same names keep coming up. So after being in our industry for a good... um, four years, Mm -hmm. in 2012, I decided to partner up with the James Beard Foundation and start a very different model where we placed women with restaurateurs around the country to accelerate their leadership skills. And when I'm talking about leadership skills, I'm talking about running multiple sections, learning the managerial aspects of running a kitchen, such as sourcing, scheduling, costs, inventory, HR, not everyone learns everything, but the jump start is massive, so is the access. And the goal here is to push women to aspire for more and give them a path to learn more. And that's basically what the Women in Culinary Leadership Program has been running for the last, uh, since 2012, so seven years now. Wow. And so when it comes back to the gastro ceiling, this is a term that I've coined, and I think it's very apt for our industry, both for leadership and ownership. I could not agree more. And for our listeners who might not know about the James Beard Foundation, can you give us a brief overview as to what it is and how did the conversation around creating this ecosystem of female entrepreneurship even begin? How did you, was there a spark within yourself other than just observing this problem nationwide? Was there any sort of epiphany moment on your end? 
Um, absolutely. So, um, it's quite uh, it's quite interesting. But uh, uh, first, an overview of the James Beard Foundation. Uh, it's the James Beard Foundation is known most for the for, for the consumer for their awards, and this is almost the Oscars of the culinary world, where there's there's one night and leading up to it, many nominations across the industry in various various uh, realms, whether from restaurants to food to beverage gamut. And it's a marquee moment for chefs and restaurateurs to receive this award. Mm-hmm. That, but that is a very, that is one aspect of it. There's also programs that uh, do a tremendous amount of work around scholarships, mm-hmm. around impact, whether it's sustainability or boot camps for chefs to train them to be politically active and self-advocate. And also our women's programs. I mentioned the Women in Culinary Leadership, which started the first. And But then apart from that, we also have an entrepreneurship program where 20 women are selected. And it's a very rigorous application process. Many more apply for a one-week almost boot camp in entrepreneurship at uh, with Babson College, tailored to the industry around b- building scale. And this is these are existing entrepreneurs, and we provide them with not just the training, but a whole wealth of access and networks to, to really, really expand. I and believe the third we've thing had, that, oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. I was just going to chime no, no, in that I believe we've had yeah. even some DC restaurateurs as a part of that cohort. So super familiar. And I could not be more excited that you partnered with Babson. I think Rachel and the Food Soul program there is incredible but yes keep going i'm so oh, you're right you're right more. dc is, is a big part of that in fact uh uh one of our uh, uh key founders for the women in Entre- entrepreneurship uh, uh program is uh jody jody mclean with yes, Edens, which is Edens. based in dc yeah and she, yeah and she's she's a huge huge uh, supporter as well i love that and then the last thing that we started at the end of last year with well, the kickoff was in chicago is is a summit called owning it and this is also around a, a, a one and a half day to two two day uh, program around a boot camp again around entrepreneurship where we bring in panels of external financiers, accelerators, incubators, successful women do pitches, VCs, and it's so it's, it's literally immersion into entrepreneurship for women, and and we're very excited to be expanding this across five or six different cities this year. So that's an overview of the James Beard Foundation and our women's program. Yeah, that is incredible. And listener, if you're just tuning in, we are here with Rohini Day, Vermilion Restaurateur and James Beard Foundation trustee. And Rohini, we here on the tidbit, we really like having tangible um, ways in which our listeners can take back these uh, tidbits of knowledge into their own restaurant <laughs> restaurants and small business operations. And you mentioned that before being in the culinary world, you were a former World Bank uh, and McKinsey management consultant. How did those experiences influence or shape your operational or management style? And do you have any best practices you've gleaned over the years for young restaurateurs, very, very new on the scene as they're becoming leaders in their kitchens? Um, absolutely. Uh, so Kim, uh, I, for, first and foremost, I would strongly dissuade them from entering the industry. 
<laughs> that's just a personal bias. So think hard before you uh-huh. jump in from the frying pan into the fire. It's a yeah. tough industry. Totally. It is a tough industry. Margins are. It slim. has a very high failure rate. Uh-huh. It has. Uh, it does. It is fairly capital intensive. Intensive. You can't just build a website. You know what I mean? Totally. And it's not. It's. It's a field of dreams for many. If you build it, they will not necessarily come. Mm-hmm. But uh, that being said, so many are passionate about this and flock to this industry. And I do think there are a couple of tips that I would strongly, strongly advocate others to do before launching, before committing fully. And um, I was very fortunate that because of my training at the World Bank in McKinsey, I really had a heads up on the business side of it. Mm-hmm. But here I would tell many, many chefs and budding entrepreneurs to first and foremost live the industry. So I call this early immersion, and that would be step one. Go work in it, talk to managers, talk to owners, talk to operators, try and get as much knowledge and numbers as you can outside in. That's step one. Yes. Number two would be to to really, really get a good handle on the business side of any on, and this is, this would apply to entrepreneurship in general, Kim, not just to restaurants, Absolutely. but you know the financial side of things, the business planning side of things, and there are so many different ways to do that. You can you know you can sign up for courses, you can audit their women's business centers. There are 50 of them around the country that are free that do business planning courses. I actually make all the women in my restaurant go through this program. Oh, I love that. And so, yeah. And, uh, and, and, and there's so many other services free or relatively normal, nominal that you can leverage, especially now with commissary kitchens and incubators and accelerators to so do that. Mm-hmm upfront so that you can speak the language of financiers, stakeholders, angel investors, and so that you can really leverage your hard work because I am a strong proponent of seeking external finance. Yeah. There well over ninety percent of women owned businesses are self financed and I think that's a big reason why they stay sub subscale and don't, you know, break uh uh um revenue barriers and it's the same amount of effort same amount of work but there's much you can do so step two was the business side of it and financial literacy step three is if you're going to be be an investor you really need to develop your voice you need to be your biggest self-advocate you need to learn how to pitch you need to learn how to ask you need to learn how to ruthlessly network Mm -hmm. this is true of restaurants this is true of culinary it's true of any and every field so I, i i i would strongly advocate investing and all these three can be trained they can be learned and i i I believe it will go a long way absolutely and this is so fascinating to me the statistic you were saying about women women women-owned businesses are are primarily self-funded or um that many don't break that million revenue mark i wonder is there anything that you can glean from that but why aren't women going for outside capital is is there something that you've noticed in this space might it might not even be lack of access to capital but maybe something psychological i don't know posing the question <laughs> it is yeah it's a it's a terrific question kim this is the this is cracking the case and i think partially it's it, it's partially top down hmm. I do think policy needs to be changed 
the SPA needs to be mandated that 40% or 50%, we are half the sky, of their financing should be to women. Yes. You know, it should be mandated, top down and flat. That's what you're going to be assessed on. Yeah. Whereas the reality is today, 4% of SBA dollars go to women. Oh, and you mentioned that statistic about VCs, 2%. Now, you can't mandate private industry. That, that's regulation beyond, you know, right. capitalism. <laughs> But uh, that's one uh, one part of it, and 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 there is, I believe, a bias uh, where it's a male-oriented funding system, and it, it's 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 difficult to break through for women. Yeah. But the other half of it is women again coming back to investing in themselves. If they're comfortable with the financial literacy and pitching and asking and getting out there networking. Today is it couldn't be a better time. Yes. The world is listening. People are seeking female-owned opportunities and ventures to fund, and I think, yeah, you know, it's it's the ball's in our court to take it and run with it. One hundred percent. And I, I was, this is a great segue because I was going to ask you if you could wave a magic wand and ask for three ways that conscious consumers, right, can ask more of their governments or private businesses, ways they can take action, what would they be? And it sounds like policy change from the top down could be one of them. But in creating this supportive, healthy ecosystem where all genders are represented equally, anything else that you want to add? If you could, again, wave that magic wand. So, um, you know, this is a very... uh uh, it's almost a little bit of a dilemma mm. in my mind because on the one hand, I'm a huge advocate of women. Yep. And I want them to succeed in our industry. I want them to own half the restaurant, if not more. But, 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 but on the other hand, I'm a huge meritocrat and I believe the consumer should have free choice. Yes. They need to pick the best and they can't, I, I, I don't believe in saying, oh, you must eat out half the time at women-owned restaurants. Mm-hmm. That's not the point. We need to have enough offerings and choices for yeah. the consumer to 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 to, to pick and and to, to pick and choose. This is a market-based economy, so I would not go so far as to regulate consumer choice. I would ask our government to give us half the political voice. Whether it's, I mean, Canada has done it. Mm. Why isn't half our cabinet fe- uh, female? Right. I would ask the government to give us half the financing. And I would ask the government to give industries incentive to make women half the boards and the, and the C-suite. And that, to me, would ch- really, really change the norm. Otherwise, we're going to be having the same conversation 200 years from now. Totally. It comes down to who, who is holding the power and what is that ultimate power structure that is being created and how can we uh, upend um, these traditional ways of operating that we've been in again for the past 200 years plus uh, if you will I am so glad to hear all of the work that you've been doing Rohini is there any way if our listener wants to learn more about you your restaurants the James Beard Foundation how can people um, learn more about all of these amazing initiatives so James Beard Foundation is at jamesbeard.org. And for I would welcome people reaching out to me to figure out uh, things they can do for entrepreneurship or uh, how, how to leverage the foundation or to come and eat amazing Indian Latin food. Awesome. Um, 
and uh, for the life of me i can't remember my uh, twitter or uh, instagram handles but i'm guessing it will be on your website somewhere kim so exactly. i would direct them to you yes and your twitter is rohini vermilion so amazing we will definitely link over to that thank you so much for joining us and listener if you didn't already know this show is based on a bi-weekly newsletter that we send out at Curate called The Tidbit. And in it, we discuss what we're reading, eating, drinking, listening to, and learning. Five quick morsels of information to get you in the know and on top of your game. So head over to curate.co, C-U-R-E-A-T-E.co to sign up. And we would love if more budding entrepreneurs and listeners like you could find out about The Tidbit. Our mission at Curate includes the sharing of education and access to resources. And the best way to reach more folks like you is to leave a review in iTunes. So I'd be super appreciative if you'd head over to your app and leave a little tidbit on there about what you learned here on the show today. And until next time, everyone, remember to scale thoughtfully and source locally. Mm-hmm.